Welcome to Harmonia. I'm Angela Mariani, inviting you to join me for the next hour as today's performers of medieval, renaissance, and baroque music bring to life the music of the distant past. Coming up, we'll hear music by some of Pope Leo X's favorite composers preserved in the Medici Codex, and we'll continue our conversation with the Boston Camerata's artistic director, Anne Azema. Plus, the first solo concerto ever composed for the viola is on our featured release. Take a quick look back in time. We spun the wheel and it landed on 1715. Antonio Vivaldi's nickname, the Red Priest, is well known, but his fame rests on his success as a composer. In fact, in 1715, while teaching and composing at the Ospedale della Pietà in Venice, Vivaldi pleased his employers so much that they gave him a bonus to his salary. But another priest composer, Francesco Antonio Bonporti, wasn't so lucky. In a letter to the secretary of the Elector of Mainz, written in 1715, Bonporti did the opposite of asking for a raise. In fact, he offered to work for free for one year in exchange for an appointment as chaplain to the emperor at Vienna. Bonporti's compositions are often overlooked, but many believe they were influential on the style of J.S. Bach. Imagine Vivaldi or Bonporti or Bach's music played on one of Antonio Stradivari's violins. Many point to 1715 as the year when Stradivari reached the pinnacle of his so-called golden period of instrument making. While Stradivari didn't distinguish his instruments with names, many have since been named after their players or owners. One famous Strad, known as the Allard and made in 1715, is regarded by some experts as one of his finest. Oskar Shumsky, an American violinist who passed away in the year 2000, performed on another famous Stradivari violin made in 1715 called the Ex-Pierre Road, or the Duke of Cambridge. Irish-born playwright Newberg Hamilton premiered his five-act comedy The Doting Lovers in England in 1715. In the same year, he also revived a previous work, his farce called The Petticoat Plotter. The two plays enjoyed only limited popularity, and perhaps Hamilton would have faded out of the public eye almost entirely had it not been for his friendship with composer George Frederick Handel. Handel and Hamilton collaborated as librettist and composer for large-scale vocal works. Handel composed the music, and Hamilton provided the texts. This association was fruitful. Together they produced the ode Alexander's Feast, as well as Samson and the Occasional Oratorio. Back in France, 1715 marked the year of Louis XIV's death. 
The so-called Sun King enjoyed a long reign during which he employed many musicians. One of these was Antonio Bagnera. Born in 1638, the same year as Louis XIV, Bagnera began singing in the Royal Chapel Choir as a young boy. After undergoing castration to prevent his voice from changing, Bagnera eventually joined the ranks of other Italian castrati employed by the king. Bagnera spent most of his life at court, not retiring until the king's death in 1715. What's more, during a time when life expectancy was certainly not as optimistic as it is today, Bagnera lived to the ripe old age of 102. This has been a look back in time to the year 1715. I'm Angela Mariani. You can find more about the people, events, and music from this era online in our blog section, along with early music t-shirts, totes, and books in our gift shop at harmoniaearlymusic.org. Early musical manuscripts provide us with much of the music we know of the medieval and renaissance periods. In 1518, the Medici Pope Leo X presented one such manuscript to his nephew, Lorenzo de' Medici, Duke of Urbino, on the occasion of his marriage to a French princess. The Medici Codex, now housed in the Biblioteca Medicea Lorenziana in Florence, is a collection of 53 motets by many composers associated with the French court at the time, among them Jean Mouton, a favorite of Pope Leo X. Let's hear Mouton's Nessiens Mater, set as an eight-voice motet, performed by the Brabant Ensemble.
the Brabant Ensemble, directed by Stephen Rice, performed Jean Mouton's Nessiennes Mater, one of the many works by Mouton collected in the Medici Codex of 1518. Other composers in the manuscript include Josquin Dupré, Mouton's student Adrien Villert, Johannes de la Fage, and Andreas de Silva, just to name a few. We know very little about de Silva and la Fage, except that they were both highly regarded by Leo X. De Silva served as a private singer to the Pope from 1519 to 1520, and Lafage was known as, quote, a contrabass, the best in Italy. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Music from the Medici Codex, Capella Pratensis, directed by Joshua Rifkin, performed Andreas de Silva's five-voice motet, Omnis Pulchritude Domini, and Johannes de Lafage's Videns Dominus Civitatem Desolatam, very likely a prayer to ward off the plague. You can become a fan of Harmonia Early Music on Facebook or follow our updates all week long on Twitter. Just search for Harmonia Early Music. The Boston Camerata is one of the longest-lived early music ensembles in the world. This week on Harmonia, we're continuing my conversation with Anne Azema. Anne took on the role of artistic director of the Boston Camerata in 2008, but she has been singing with the group for much longer than that and is well-versed in many different repertoires. In this portion of the interview, we talked specifically about American music. I'm interested to know how an American early music group is, is received by a European audience in Europe, especially in, in terms of some of these programs. That, for example, you mentioned the one about patriots and American heroes. And What were your observations about how it was received? The very first time that uh, the Boston Camerata sang American music, it was when we were invited by the Théâtre de la Ville in Paris. And the director of the Théâtre de la Ville had given kind of a carte blanche to Joel Cohen, the director at the time, saying, hey, we know you, just come and do us a concert. And Joel was in the middle of really taping uh, very intensively uh, American music uh, at that time. And um, 
I remember that we came in the hall, which was filled up to the rim, and there was a bit of a tension in the hall, actually. Um, and you could feel that people were like, well, what is that American music? They were, they were a bit of a worry, in mm. a way. And uh, we started singing, and within three minutes, it's as if the hall, as a giant muscle, had completely relaxed mm. and let go and said, oh, that's what it is. We love it. We like it. We can understand it. And when we did um, Patriots and Heroes, Saw You, My Hero, the program that uh, the City La Music commissioned uh, for us in February, I told the director of the hall right away, you know, the public will need to, at some point, um, be with us, make music with us, and dance at the end, uh, dance with us. And the director of the hall said, oh, well, honey, that's mm -hmm. good for Americans, but, you know, you're in Paris. I said, well, let us try. We tried. And we did it. And they danced with us at the end, and they got a fuller picture of what music and music making and uh, a cultural event in the late 18th century, early 19th century America might have been like. It's so wonderful when you can get an audience involved that directly, and they have such a personal experience of it with the dancing and so on. It's just wonderful. I think this is a landmark of the Boston Camerata. For these concerts, we uh, push the envelope a little bit. For us, music is not something to be admired in a glass case, mm -hmm. you know, with a very uh, careful and uh, um, very precious uh, way of taking care of it. Um, we need to get out of the glass case. Mm -hmm. And that's where the Camerata's work, I think, is fascinating to me. and the challenge is, but also the vision for the seasons to come, is that the concert arena where you have artists on stage far, far away sharing with you the most beautiful and precious thing is not enough. It's necessary, perhaps, up to a point, but then sharing and asking the public to take part and to reflect with us be moved with us, sing with us sometimes in some of our programs, move with us in other programs, or be witnesses is a very important part of our work. And I believe deep down that that's where we'll bridge with new eras uh, of music making. Well, I'm thinking maybe what we should do now is play the music. Good. This is the piece called The Harvest Hymn by Jeremiah Ingalls. Um, Jeremiah Ingalls is a, it was published in Exeter, New Hampshire. Um, so he's, um, he's a Northeast composer, and it's excerpted from uh, the Christian Harmony. The Harvest of Souls at the Last Judgment is a very frequently used theme in, in early American sacred song. And uh, it's probably, this tune is probably derived from an English type tune, but the treatment is absolutely American. Sickles appear to reap down their wheat and gather in barns while wild plants of nature are left for to burn. To reap down their wheat and gather in barns 
while wild plants of nature are left for to burn. Come then, O oh my soul, and think on that day when all things in nature shall cease and decay. The trumpet shall sound, the angels appear to reap down the earth, both the wheat and the tare. The trumpet shall sound, the angels appear to reap down the earth, both the wheat and the tare. Come, hither ye tribes, your sentence receive, no longer my spirit shall strive and be grieved. My judgment is right, my sentence is just. Come hither, ye blessed, but depart, all ye cursed. My judgment is right, my sentence is just. Come hither, ye blessed, but depart, all ye cursed. Sinners, take part and seek ye the Lord. I have not been jesting, it is Christ's own word. That those who've done good in glory shall stand, while those who've done evil shall surely be damned. That those who've done good in glory shall stand, while those who've done evil shall surely be the Boston Camerata, under the direction of Joel Cohen, sang Harvest Hymn by early American composer Jeremiah Ingalls. We'll continue our conversation with Boston Camerata's Anne Azema after a short break. You're listening to Harmonia, a program of early music that comes to you from the studios of WFIU at Indiana University. Partial support for Harmonia comes from Penco Incorporated of Bedford, Indiana. Partial support also comes from Early Music America, publisher of Early Music America magazine, on the web at earlymusic.org. I'm Angela Mariani. Welcome back. We're talking about early American repertoire with Anna Zema, artistic director of the Boston Camerata. Before the break, we had heard the piece Harvest Hymn. Let's continue the conversation. Isn't it interesting 
all of those wonderful octaves and fifths. Uh, that's where you see that's where for me as a European when I first heard that it's like if the, it's like if the house had fallen on me because um, it was in a way so reminiscent of earlier polyphonies at the same time clearly atavistic I mean clearly American mm -hmm. um, that uh, I never came back from that shock <laughs> <laughs> so you were asking me earlier about how is an American ensemble received in Europe I'm definitely a European I was brought up in Europe I now live in America but it's clear that um, you do have these bridges inherent in the music as well and uh, one feeds the other I find that fascinating in many of these American pieces that you have those bridges with old the old world. What you're saying about the shock of recognition happens the other way around too because as Americans uh, some of us who grew up you know singing hymns in churches and so on and so forth and then the first time we hear this medieval music we think wait a minute there's something in there it's definitely different but at the same time, there's something in there that I identify with. There's something in there that, that feels familiar to me. And th that interesting exchange works both ways. I have, to illustrate this point, I have from Traveling Home, number 25, Ontario, which is uh, based on the, uh, a theme that's very dear to me, which is the, the theme of travels and journeys. I've developed several programs on around that. Uh, Ontario is a piece which is an American piece and it comes from uh, the Mennonite hymnody repertoire from the Philharmonia published there in 1875. Perhaps we could listen to Ontario. Yes, please.
it's so interesting how when we contrast that with the previous one, with this one you get that beautiful coral texture. Absolutely. But I have another example, if you want, sure. of Scottish connection, which is uh, less square and less, uh, you know, sure. much more American. Scots, why hey, we Wallace bled. Scots, when Bruce has often led. Welcome to your gory bed. Or to victory. Now's the day and now's the hour. See the front of battle hour. See approach proud Edward's power. Chains and slavery. What will be a traitor knave? What can fill a coward's grave? What say base has be a slave? Let him turn and flee. What was Scotland's king and law? Freedom's sword will strongly draw. Free man stand or free man far. Let him follow me. By oppression's woes and pains, by our sons in servile chains, we will drain our dearest veins, but they shall be free. Lay the proud usurpers low, tyrants fall in every foe, liberties in every blow. Let us do or die. Is that second piece from the Scottish tradition, or is that it, it sounds? No, that's an American. I piece. was just going to say that sounds like an American <laughs> so shape. So we, we heard Scots Wahey, which is from Scotland, 18th century, sung by William Hyde, which is uh, the uh, Scottish piece that is fairly well known. And then we heard Bruce's address from the New Harp of Columbia in Nashville, 1867, an American piece, with those beautiful crossing of the tenor and the top and those very square ways of creating polyphony, which indeed comes from England, where we had the trio, the favorite trio in England, tenor tenor bass, and then once in America, that got developed tenor tenor bass, added with women, of course, because this is America, mm -hmm. and then uh, an alto voice developed as they went along. 
It's so interesting that particular style of early American hymnody and uh, and also the shape note singing. It's interesting how it's associated in some cases with Southern America, and yet with the shape note singing, you have this flourishing practice of that up in New England. But now it's you have groups that take part in singing this all over the country. So it's become a, a real American phenomenon as well. I think it's wonderful. I, I think this is this country's repertoire, and mm-hmm. it, it should be as you know part of the regular music making. And if we've taken part in trying to um, raise attention and bring it back, I'm very proud mm. of it. And you have. <laughs> it's wonderful. We heard Boston Camarada's Anne Azema singing the Shaker hymn called Nightingale's Song. You can find a link to our entire conversation with Anne Azema, along with hundreds of archived episodes, playlists, and podcasts, online at harmoniaearlymusic.org. The poor viola, it always ends up being the brunt of musician jokes. As in this, why is a viola like a lawsuit? Everyone's happy when the case is closed. Even in 1752, Quantz wrote in his treatise, quote, The viola is commonly regarded as of little importance in the musical establishment. It's often played by persons who are either still beginners in the ensemble or have no particular gifts with which to distinguish themselves on the violin. Ouch! In all fairness, the viola hasn't always been so underappreciated. In a 1774 letter, C.P.E. Bach said that his father, J.S. Bach, liked best to play the viola. So there. Like Bach, Telemann must have also held the viola in high regard, or at least seen the instrument's potential. 
Telemann's G major viola concerto is generally regarded as the first solo concerto ever composed for the instrument. And we'll hear this piece on this featured recording by the ensemble Europa Galante. Thank you. 
Telemann's Viola Concerto in G Major, performed by Stefano Marcocchi with Europa Galante on their 2012 release devoted entirely to the music of Georg Philipp Telemann on the Agogic label. Interested in expanding your own early music collection? Each week we review recordings new and old on the Harmonia Early Music Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or at harmoniaearlymusic.org. Harmonia is a production of WFIU and part of the educational mission of Indiana University. Additional resources for Harmonia come from the William and Gail Cook Music Library at the Indiana University Jacobs School of Music. We welcome your thoughts about any aspect of this program. You can leave a comment or question anytime by visiting harmoniaearlymusic.org and clicking on Contact. The writers for this edition of Harmonia are Janelle Davis and Anna Pranger. Thanks to our studio engineer, Mike Pashkash, and our staff, John Bailey, David Wood, and Anna Coogan. Additional technical support comes from KTTZ at Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas. Special thanks to WGBH Boston and Ann Azema of the Boston Camerata. Our producer is Luann Johnson, and I'm Angela Mariani, inviting you to join us again for the next edition of Harmonia. <laughs>